We're continuing on in, in the series in John, and it really just lands perfectly for us. And actually, as we end this particular series, we'll start one next week. Um, but today's message, as we've been thinking and praying about Easter, is, is one that I t- we titled, Death is Not the End. It's in John 11 about the story of Lazarus and how Jesus raises him from the from the dead. And so we're going to look into this passage today. And, and as we kind of connect things, I think it is something that is very pertinent to us today, especially and as we celebrate Easter. And it is one that, that is a, a reminder for me, especially knowing for myself, my, my father passed away two years ago of just how that death is really there and how we experience it, what we go through, the grief that we will encounter uh, the, the waves that will come in of emotions. And we see that a little bit of today and even what Jesus speaks of. And as he gives us hope of who he is and who and how he has resurrected life gives us new life. And so we're going to look at that as we celebrate Easter and why Pastor Allen mentioned Good Friday is good is because we know of the outcome. We know of the resurrected life that Jesus has. Right, so we're going to look at John 11, and we're going to kind of move around because I, it's a really long passage, and I just want to focus on a few different things, and we can have multiple messages within this chapter. But we're going to look at three things as we notice Jesus's rhythms and his practices in this particular story. The first one is his delay, his delay in responding to the request, to, to the information that Mary and Martha brings to him. You're going to see his response, his emotional response. And lastly, we're going to see his purpose, right? And we're going to see all these three things, his delay, his emotions, and his purpose. And as that gives us hope in this Easter, let's pray before we start. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you that we are here today, not because we are worthy, but because you are. Thank you that we can cling on and hold on to your word when life is tough, when life gets tough, when we encounter the ups and downs, when we go through the pains of grief, Lord, that we can grieve with hope, knowing that you, Lord, have conquered death and conquered and paid for their sins and have given us life. And so, Lord, we pray for your word today to be proclaimed, to give us hope, to give us life. And so, Lord, we pray for your spirit to move and to to help us understand your word and see who you are. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read from John 11, verses 1 through 7. This is a background of the story. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that <clears throat> so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, 
let us go back to Judea. All right, this is an interesting story. As you see from the story that the first thing I want to point out is that his response is actually what is perhaps not what we would imagine, what we would have wanted, right? Is that when he heard of the story, when he hears of the story of his friend, his, someone that he loves, is that he says, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Two more days. It's something that really stood out to me recently more and more. As we went on a vacation, I realized in the middle of the night, we got a call uh, from JetBlue telling us about a flight that was canceled for Jenny's parents. And it was at 5.45 in the morning. And I think now that Google has set up their phones where you have do not disturb sometimes, I put it at certain times and, and I just didn't hear the phone. And, you know, we missed the flight. Uh, the, the change of flight and all this, and it's because I didn't pick up the phone, right? Imagine even more so of just this idea of someone calling and saying, hey, I need help. I'm sick. Imagine Jesus delaying and, or even ourselves saying, um, I want to wait till after I finish my sleep and I'll call you right back, right? Imagine that was the kind of response and that's kind of the experience that Mary and Martha and Lazarus was going through, that they sent message to Jesus, someone, their, their, <clears throat> their teacher, their rabbi, their, the person that they were following, the miracles that they have seen. And they sent word and say, hey, Lazarus is sick. And instead of seeing him, perhaps the messengers came back. It's about a day's journey where Jesus was from them. So it's not that you don't see him the second day when the messenger comes back, perhaps seeing that, Jesus is not coming right now. Imagine that that's kind of the background of what they're going through and the grief and the pain that, that Lazarus is experiencing. Right? That the, at times like this, I think of my mom in college when, I, when, he, when she had a, a ruptured aneurysm. And when she <clears throat> was going to go into surgery, my brother-in-law was saying to me, hey, I'm going to buy your ticket. We're all going to fly out to Taiwan before your mom get, goes into surgery, right? And we kind of drop everything that we're doing and we just kind of take off and go. But what we see in here is that Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. And I think this is sometimes very difficult for us to, to really process, to encounter, to experience when we are in the shoes of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This delay, this seemingly impossible ways of not seeing Jesus move in our lives when we're calling out to him, right? <clears throat> that it says when he stayed for two days, this idea of not feeling loved is one that perhaps goes through their minds. But John, the writer of this book, is very specific. He wants people to know, right, that this delay that Jesus had was not because he does not love them, right? He specifically says in John 4, he says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And I think what we can take away from this is this, is that just because there's a delay and God does not answer or the ways that we want to see does not mean that he does not love. We see that very clearly in this story 
And perhaps we don't know for each person what that looks like and what that means. But we know from this story that he delayed and he loved. He loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But in that delay, what we'll see in the story is that Lazarus dies. And I think there's oftentimes we think of this and we think that because it's not happening, God does not love me. But God, Jesus says here, and very specifically in the story, he says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. That God may be glorified through this, that it would not, the sickness would not end in death. It doesn't mean that it won't go through death, but it would not end in death, this particular sickness. And that God would be glorified as we continue on in the story, right? It's that God's love is not a pampering love. It's a perfect love. The fact that he loves us doesn't mean that we are guaranteed from, from, and from being sheltered from pain or problems in life. Rather, what we see with God's love is that he sends his son. He permits his son to die on a cross, to drink this cup of sorrow and experience the shame and pain of the cross so that we may have life. That when he knows that Lazarus is going to die, and this is in John 11, he already knows what will happen. He speaks it to the disciples. Right? He says, John 11, verses 11 to 15, it goes on. It says, after he said this, he went on to tell him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Right? You see that there is a purpose in Jesus going there, but that he, when he knows, he knows that in this message, receiving it, that Lazarus is already dead. I think this is something that reveals much more sometimes of the pain that we go through in grief and in not understanding what God is doing, but that this gives us hope that there are bigger things, bigger things in our lives. And perhaps what we see in this story that when Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, when they go through this experience that they would experience this raising from the dead, we'll see, that their lives would then be changed. However, those two or three days, four days that they experienced the death, the grief, the sorrow, it is still real and painful. But that that is a loving God, but yet also an all-knowing God, a God that is, that is going to be glorified. It says this, this is um, one person that was born uh, invalid, and he wrote this in his journal. And it says this, he says he wrote this, loneliness, loss, pain, sorrow, those are disciplines. They are, God, <clears throat> they are God's gift to drive us to his very heart, to increase our capacity for him, 
to sharpen our sensitivities and understanding, to temper our spiritual lives so that they may become channels of his mercy to others and so bear fruit for his kingdom. But these disciplines must be seized upon and used, not thwarted. They must not be seen as excuses for living in the shadows of half-lives, but as messengers, however painful, to bring our souls into vital contact with the living God that our lives may be filled to overflowing with himself in ways that many perhaps be impossible to those who know less of life's darkness. This understanding that perhaps Mary, Martha went through this grief, this delay, also played a role in the ways that they experienced as they see who God is afterwards. I don't want to diminish that those days of grief and pain because they're very painful. They could be filled with emotions of ups and downs. But it is something that I have to ask when we have to ask, when we grieve with hope, when we understand the purpose in our lives beyond just what we see and what we want and what we do. What we see in this story is not to measure God's love for a person just by your health, your wealth, and your comfort that he could bring into your life. And that if we were measuring God's love, then we would see that if by those methods, we would see that he hated, we would think that he hated many people such as Apostle Paul or even Lazarus here is that we measure God's love. We see his love because of the ways that he demonstrated and he's spoken to us about it. That we see that his love is seen through his son, Jesus. That we must not think that love and suffering are incompatible, right? And he, God says this in John three sixteen that he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life that he would send his son for us. Why? It says this in Romans 5, verses 6 to 8. You see, at the, just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us that we see love and suffering are not incompatible, but rather we see it in Christ of how he gives us new life. I think this delay that we see is not a delay to punish or delay to test, but rather a delay for his glory to be displayed. We'll see that at the very end of the story. But that is something that perhaps is very encouraging i hope it's encouraging for us for anyone who's waiting on god waiting for god to come through been praying and waiting for him is that his delay is not without purpose and not without love the second is his emotions jesus his response as he sees this i'm gonna skip through his response with mary and martha or martha first as he speaks to her and as he goes to her and she runs to him and says, if you were only here and go on in verse 32, when Martha gets his sis- her sister, Mary, and, they- and she comes out. 
Verse 32 goes on. It says, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And we see this one of the shortest scriptures, these two words, Jesus wept. You know, Jesus could have, when he received the message, be like in John 4, where he's, he just heals someone from far away. He doesn't even have to be there. He could have healed them. He could have done a lot of things. But rather, he waited, delayed, and he explains why he does it. But when he sees Mary, he sees Mary and he sees the weeping that Mary goes through. He also weeps. But what's interesting here is that if we know the story as we read on later, is that Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. So what's interesting is Jesus knew what he was going to do. And he knew that Lazarus was not going to die at that moment. But yet, why did he weep? Right? He wasn't weeping in terms of grieving in a ways that perhaps Mary and Martha were going through. You know, I think scholars <clears throat> differ on this interpretation. But it says here earlier in, as ways of context and understanding is that many scholars believe that when he says, earlier on is verse 33 is that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled that this, this word in original language is, is kind of tied to anger, to sadness of deeply moved in spirit and troubled. It isn't something of grieving of weeping of emotional pain, but rather what he saw and what he was troubled with. And many point to this, is perhaps this idea that death is not natural. That death is not natural. That it is something that God, as he originally created Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, for people to experience this full communion with him, that it was not until this rebellion, this sin, that brought death into the picture. It says in Genesis 2, as he's Speaking to Adam and Eve, verses 16 and 17, it says, The Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat it, eat from it, you will certainly die. That it is through this one action of rebellion, of taking of this fruit, that death is introduced. Romans 5 12 summarizes more therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way death came to all people because all sinned i think for me when i think about this jesus knew what he was going to do but yet he wept i think he saw this effect the effects and the reality of death to the people right there and, and right around him. That he saw the effects of sin and how that breaks down. 
humans like us, how we're fragile and broken. That he saw this and he wept because he understood what people were going through. He knew and he did not desire it. He was angry at it. I think oftentimes these days, perhaps I'm getting older and in this midlife situation, but I am <clears throat> recently one of my friend, high school friends, their mother passed away. And, you know, I bought these books that I want to send out to him, but I, I realized more and more that it is something that perhaps I just never encountered before, but now I'm encountering more. You know, I grew up in a, <clears throat> where I didn't experience, I didn't know my other besides one grandparent, I never had any memories of the others or they all, or they passed away. But in our family, we just haven't experienced that. that I haven't experienced the death and grieving and the, and the pain in that process. But the past two years has been different for me. You know, even as Jenny and I were uh, on vacation, there was this jazz live band. You know, for some reason, part of me, all I was thinking is, oh man, my dad would have loved this. You know, like he would have loved listening to live music. Or I remember this one time that I went to this concert with him. And I realized that grief and loss are so tied together in our lives. We cannot escape it. Although it is unnatural, it was not in God's design that it was introduced and it has broken our relationship with God. That as Jesus wept, he understood of this grief and this pain. He experienced it as a human. Right? But yet, he says that we are not to grieve without hope. And I think this is what gives us a lot of encouragement as we go through, and for myself, as we go through periods of grieving and loss, is to understand that God knows. In Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 15, it says, Therefore, since we have a high, great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Right? We have a high priest that could empathize with our weakness, that understands what we have gone through, that's seen the grief and the loss, and that he wept and that he loved. But beyond that, there was a purpose, and he created a way. It says this in Romans 5, verses 17 to 19, it goes on. For if by the trespasses of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more would those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also the obedience of the one man, that many will be made righteous. That there was a purpose that actually when Jesus 
what he saw in, for us in Easter is that he created a new way, that death is not the end. Rather, he has given us a new life, that through his death, that we would have life. Right, but what we see in this particular story right here, as we go on, is this, is that he makes it very clear to the people, this sickness will not end in death. It is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And what he does at the end of the story is this, he reveals his purpose. He reveals his purpose of why there was a delay and what he was going to do, right? When he actually <clears throat> arrived, it says here that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He was about, Jesus was about one day's journey and he stayed for two days. So by the time the message probably returned or even got to him, perhaps Lazarus was already dead. Right? And he knew this as he spoke to the disciples. And when he arrived, he knew that Lazarus was already dead, been in the tomb for four days. And here he reveals his purpose to Martha specifically, right? He, she says this in verses 40 to 44. It says, Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took, oh, she's speaking to Martha. So they took away the stone because Martha was saying, no, we don't take away the stone. There's an odor. Lazarus is going to smell. It's after four days. But Jesus is specifically telling her, do you not believe? And then they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they, are, they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hand and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. It says here specifically, as he has a conversation with Martha, as he speaks to him, didn't I not tell you that if you believe, you will see this? And as he does, he prays and he calls out, calls out Lazarus and out comes Lazarus. In this purpose, in this small story here, it's just one of many, actually. I was surprised, one of many of, of people being raised from the dead by God. Right? There's some in the Old Testament by Elijah, Elijah, right? And Jesus, he, when he speaks in Luke 8 of a daughter to, that, that she would be <clears throat> healed, what we really spoke reminded me in my quiet time was actually I was surprised about the various saints in Jerusalem. If you read Matthew 27, when Jesus dies on the cross, when he cries out, that actually when he dies and he was when he cries out that there were saints that were dead, that were raised from the dead. And what really stood out to me as I've been thinking and praying for this Easter is that Jesus is calling out a Lazarus and even himself is not the fact that he just came back to life, but because of who he is. He says this specifically to Martha in verses 25 to 27, in his conversation, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha responds, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who is to come into this world. 
right? That for him, what he was, what he's saying is, I am the resurrection. That is not just a raise from, <clears throat> raise from the dead, but rather he is the resurrection and the life. That it is his life that God sent his son to die on the cross. That it says in 2 Corinthians 5, what makes him so unique and who he is, is that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That it is because of his life, who he is as a resurrection that has given us a new life and a new way. But why we realize and know that death is not the end. It says also in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 24, that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Righteousness By his wounds, you have been healed. And lastly, 1 Peter 3, chapter 3, verse 8. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. That is this Jesus, the Jesus that says, I am the resurrection. That is not just for raising from the dead, but the meaning of who he is and what he's done, the being a person of righteousness, a person that did not sin, that died for our sins, that paid and atoned for all of sin so that people like you and me could have a relationship with God. The story is so much bigger than Lazarus, this own purpose for him to be raised from the dead, but rather he makes it very clear, right, is that he is the resurrection. And what's interesting as the next chapter goes on is the impact that it has on the people there. It says in verse uh, chapter 12, verses 9 to 11 and onwards, it says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing. Not only that, it says, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they have heard that he had performed these signs, went out to meet him. I think this is the encouraging point for me, is that as as we see in the story, particularly for Lazarus, that there was a delay he encountered and experienced death. He was dead for four days, but he was raised from the dead. Like I said, it doesn't diminish the grief and the pain that people have gone through, but, but he saw the purpose of what bigger things of what God was doing. And in so many came to know him, many came to encounter and meet Jesus. And that is encouraging for me of just whatever we may be going through of what we experience and the delays, the difficulties, the struggle, the grief, that we may cling on to knowing that God loves us. It's not because he doesn't love us and he loves us, that in his perfect love, in his perfect timing, that there is something perhaps not in this lifetime, but in eternity.
And we won't know that, but what we can see in this story and what we can be encouraged is that we see a God that does have a purpose. That death is not the end. That his delay allowed him, his glory to be shown, allowed people to come to know him, about allowed people to be saved. That his emotions showed the, the depths and the understanding of grief and loss and even the anger of sin. But yet what we can hold on to is his purpose and his hope. That in Easter we celebrate knowing that he has risen and risen indeed. And in that way, we cling on to the hope of eternity, knowing that life here is just mere glimpse and a mere second of what eternity will be. And knowing that there will be an outcome, that death is not the end. Our physical death here is not even the end. And when he says this, this is our encouragement for Easter, is that he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. It's simple, yet it's costly. Costly grace that he has given us, but yet a life that will never be the same. And I encourage each one of us, if you have questions and comments or thoughts about who is he, that we would do the same as many of those who encountered, is that we would go and meet with Jesus and ask him ourselves. And I believe and I trust that he will respond and show us just who he is. And as we celebrate communion today, <clears throat> I want to invite up worship. It's a time to remember it's to remember of what he has done and who he is. That perhaps the difficulties in life that we go through, that you are encountering right now, will have a greater purpose and meaning, even if we can't see and understand it. So if you could take out your communion, I'll pray for us. Lord, thank you, Lord. Thank you that death is not the end. That, that Lord, that you have conquered death. And that while death has a sting, that it is not the end. And it is through your sacrifice and your resurrection that has given us new life, eternal life. That you've said that this is your body broken for us, that we do this in remembrance of you. And that this cup that we drink is a new covenant, Lord. That we can do this in remembrance of who you are and the life that you have given us. So Lord, as we take of this cup and take of this bread. Remind us, Lord, of this new life that you have given us. That your death has made us a new way for us to live 
for us to see, for us to hope. And so, Lord, today as we celebrate Easter, help us to see that hope in our everyday life, not just on Sunday, not just on Easter, but to see that life that you have come to give us, a fullness in life, one that's not sheltered, shielded, but one that is full with you, Lord, one that could trust you, for your words will never return empty. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your promises for this life. May you be glorified in our lives, Lord. May you be honored. May people see and recognize you when they see of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to earn our way to you, that we don't have to live a perfect life because we cannot, but that you made a way. And in this way, we have this relationship with you, Lord. So we take of this communion in remembrance of your promises. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.